We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rockpile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to win in this league. Um, you're playing a good team. Your quarterback plays like made some bad decisions tonight. It really cost our team. Um, lots to learn from, lots to grow from. But that's not that's not the uh, standard we hold ourselves to. That's not the ball that we play. Um, so, lots to look at, lots to learn from. The first one, I just didn't see the guy. He was right behind the DN. Dawson was uh, kind of lashed onto the DN. I got my eyes back. Um, I kind of looked, and the guy was right behind the, D, the defensive end. Didn't really see him there. And, that's why I floated it, and the second one was just a, a brain fart, 100%. You know, our defense goes out there, um, they strain their tails off, uh, get us a, you know, a turnover in the red zone, and I get right back. That's something, you know, I can't do. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Josh Allen himself. Post-game presser from BuffaloBills.com, pointing out all of his own failures. Can you do me a favor? Yes. 100%. Not going to lie. I, off I, topic. May, maybe. Off topic. Stop tweeting about the Sabres. Never. Please. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. The tweet you put out, oh, 10 games and then they lose to the Coyotes. That's good while we good run while we had it. It's the equivalent of you calling the Bills season over at halftime of the Miami game. I did the actual math. Where we are in the Sabres season equates to two and a half games in the NFL. So it's essentially like you giving up on the Bills at halftime of the Dolphins game. Let me ask you a question. Do you genuinely believe that the Sabres will make the playoffs this year? I believe that they will compete to be... In the, in, <laughs> the eighth, in the conversation in the eighth seed, I think they will compete to try not to be eliminated by Christmas, and they will fail. 
Folks, we're here. Oh, it's been a week. It has been a week. Now, here's what I love about this. I come in here and sometimes like things just happen that I have to talk about. I was ready to talk about my bad week, but there's somebody over here who's having a much worse one. I'm watching it happen in front of me. Chris, like, I made mistakes this week. We're going to talk about it. Chris, though, I come in. Now, it's post-Halloween. We're a full week past Halloween. I come in here, and Chris has this giant pile of candy wrappers on his desk across the studio from me. Five uh, five pieces. Well, the wrappers, like the pile of it was big enough between the individual starbursts and the, the fucking whatever else you're eating that you, and you needed both hands to scoop that pile of candy wrappers up and drop them into the garbage can. Yeah. So then you left the room right before we started recording this podcast. Yeah, this is the last last show of the night that we're doing. And you drop, like, eight pieces of candy on the desk. Close. One less than I previously had, so this is a grand total of nine for the night. Nine pieces of candy for the night. And so in my head, this is all I could think, guys. Now, Chris goes, this is totally fine. I've had 18 pieces of candy in the last, like, six hours. In my head, I'm just, like, I know my own candy intake and how I just don't eat sweets. And I'm picturing him like Tony Montana at the end of Scarface, where he's just in the chair, slumped back with candy wrappers. It's, instead of, like, cocaine all over his desk and on his nose. I'll give you one it's better. It's him in his chair, lean back with his feet on the desk like he is right now, just surrounded by a sea of candy wrappers. I'll give you one better. <laughs> You'll have to guess the movie. Fucking Chuck Norris. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dodgeball. Yeah, that's exactly what you're like right now. If you didn't have your hair like done. You'd... White Goodman with better hair and no facial hair. <laughs> that's it. But I can't make fun of Chris too hard because this past week was embarrassing for me. And that was before the Bills even took the football field. Um, so as you might have heard, some of you, fucking all of you who tweeted at us this past week, I've spent most of my life. I don't know why. I don't know why I blocked out his catches on offense the year that he was forced into action as an offensive player. I admitted drunkenly that I had always thought that Steve Tasker was a line was a linebacker. Oh yeah, I forgot so, that this yeah. existed. So Chris prompted you dickheads to come after me on social media. And as the pe- like cuz we are the pettiest bills podcast. We're the hardest drinking podcast. That tells you who are like our listeners, they're petty drinkers. And they tweet. I talked to my <laughs> mom on either Thursday or Friday last week. I'm proud of our listeners, to be honest. Yeah, I talked to my mom on the phone last Thursday or Friday, and I almost told her I was going to call her back from her Skype number and record it and see if she could figure out if Steve Tasker was a wide receiver and that was going to be the <laughs> intro for the show. <laughs> but I opted not to. Well, well, here's what I love. You rotten SOBs tweeted so many times, not just like as Chris said, like tweet it, Drew making fun of him about the Steve Tasker thing. Not only did you do it so many times that 
it like you made your point, but also you got Steve Tasker's attention. So I can I got to watch him liking all the tweets about like, oh, Drew's favorite linebacker, Chris putting in our group chat like, oh, my God, I went back and watched some of that 90s tape. Ted Martian Broad is a genius. Look at him putting a wide, putting a linebacker in it receiver. And yeah. It's just a clip of Tasker catching the football. That was his first ever <laughs> touchdown. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I'll admit I'm a horse. Like, when I'm a horse's ass, do I or do I not call other people out? Yeah, yeah, you're a horse's I, ass. And I don't want everybody I take my medicine. I want everybody to know that And now the worst part is Steve Tasker knows that I'm a horse's ass. Like he knows. He goes, wait a minute. Someone clipped it and tagged him in it. And he was just, Everybody was tagging him in like, tweets. Damn it. He's heard the audio. Now the, he's heard the audio. The I will not let you live this down for as long as we do this podcast. So any chance I get where I can make a reference to you thinking that Tasker was a linebacker, I'm going to do it. Uh, I've already thought I of deserve that. I've already thought of where and when I can bring this up again in the future. <laughs> well, do you know why? Because we are the pettiest Bills podcasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could have used Steve Tasker a linebacker this weekend. We could have used him. Uh, let's let's hit it. Our, our week nine recap, the Jets 20, the Bills 17. I I got a handful of stats of the game. I mean, I'm not going to lie. This this whole week has been a cluster. Zach Wilson, 18 to 25, 154 yards, one touchdown, no picks, two sacks, and a 101 QBR, his highest of the season. Josh Allen, 18 to 34, 205. No touchdowns, two picks, five sacks, 46.8 QBR. What are we talking about, Chris? Like, I feel, I wish you had that drop primed, but I won't fault you. Like, as I'm thinking right now, it's like, am I taking crazy pills? I feel like you switched these stat lines. One of these quarterbacks looks like they should be rated at 101. One should be 46. This is backwards. Yeah, yeah. Wide receiver Stephon Diggs, 5 of 10 for 50% catch rate, 93 yards. All other wide receivers, 4 for 8 for 45 yards. Bills running backs, 39 rushing yards, just 4 total first downs. Cornerback Sauce Gardner, 29 yards, 3 completions allowed in coverage. Jets defensive line, 6 different players with at least 1 pressure and 4 sacks with just those five players on a rotation. Buffalo, 43 second half yards total, which is less than Tennessee in the second half and less than Pittsburgh in the second half. Well, we were blowing them out. (sighs) I've already got two open beers. I've got three more lined up here. This is a rough one, Chris. Yeah. It can't, but they're not the same old Jets. They've had a couple of good drafts. Shit's starting to come around. Okay. But we're the Buffalo Bills. We're supposed to be good. Everybody, there's, 
we talk about it with Reed, the, the, the gap between the best team and the worst team in the league is very small. Anybody can beat anybody. We lost to the Jags last year. That was, No one saw that coming. Uh, the and pa- they went on to be dickheads the pan- for the rest of the season. <laughs> the Panthers beat the Bucks earlier this year. True. That was that happened. I I'm in a in a pick'em pool, and that week we had 49 people in the pool. One person picked the Panthers. How about all the the Bronco games? Everybody thought Denver was gonna. Come the in. NFL thought Denver yeah. was gonna be great. They wouldn't have put them on prime time if they didn't. Yeah, there's. Anybody can beat anybody. Even week one, when the 49ers had all of the health in the world and they lost to the Bears. That's true. That, anybody that can beat anybody. That's a real thing that happened. We, the Bills are the better team. The Jets were just the better team for 60 minutes. See, now, for me, I just try to... Like, if I had to make an umbrella statement about this game, it's chickens roosting... Just data that says that it might change. But also, like, I had a way I wanted this podcast to go, and I'm just abandoning it. Because by this point in the week, like, you've all heard it. You've all heard other podcasts and radio personalities break down the, the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's. Just what took place. A brutally disappointing loss to a New Jersey football team that is just as epic on defense as they are vanilla and begging to be kicked in the teeth on offense. I'm not going to pretend that I can lay it out any differently than those people. That I can walk you through the football science. of. Instead, what I have to offer you is some signs, both of how we got here, and I can hopefully leave you by the end of this podcast with some optimism that those things can improve. The real story of this Jets game, in my eyes, plays out almost like a Tarantino film. Picture this, if you will. Title card. Week 9. Bills versus Jets. Scene. The sun rising over the city of Buffalo. It's 7.47 a.m. on a Monday morning. There's just this light frost on everything. Cars are buzzing up and down the 90 and the 190 to work with everybody in their car flipping channels on the radio, purposely avoiding their local sports radio station. Bill's flags are all hanging at half-mast on front porches throughout the suburbs of Orchard Park in Lancaster. And you pan over that with some aerial shots, some ground shots. There's a half-heartedness to the waves of people who are walking around the streets. Coworkers, friends, maybe just acquaintances that see each other while grabbing coffee from the same Tim Hortons every day. Flash to a city bus where a grumpy 30-year-old, 30-ish-year-old guy in a suit ditches his morning copy of the Buffalo News on the floor because he realizes he didn't really want to carry around a paper. He just bought it to be pretentious and make people think that he was a more well-read human being than he actually is. A slow zoom-in on the front page of that paper as the bus passengers walk all over it just shows that the headline for the day laments the bills losing yet another AFC East game in disappointing fashion. And then it fades to black. The story 
right? <laughs> like That's where we start the story of this game. The story of this loss goes all the way back to the spring of 2022, when the front office was sitting down with Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Ken Dorsey, and Josh Allen. The latter pair, who we're going to talk about a little bit tonight, and just coming up with what the 2022 Buffalo Bills were going to be, shaping what they thought it would take to make them a winner and seal the deal on the Lombardi that they've been teasing us with for years, devising an offensive system that can keep up with the best that the NFL has to offer, make use of all of Josh Allen's obvious talents, and just make them a dual-threat-imposing offensive unit that has a defense that has annually played better than anybody else in the league since Sean McDermott became a head coach. Since that time, we've seen flashes of absolute genius come from those decisions. And we've also witnessed a lot of things that would leave you questioning the direction of this football team altogether when compared to just how seemingly composed, I don't know, all of our divisional opponents seem to be. Or at least the way they seem to keep finding ways. Their coaching staff seems to find ways to outthink, outcoach, get lucky, whatever it might be. Because even in our blowout victories, there have been some struggles that we've all been willing to overlook. And they have they all came to a resounding head in this weekend's loss. All of our chickens came home to roost. Chris, if you want to do me a favor and pull up the, the thread that I have pinned on our Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, for the foreseeable future, you guys are going to be... Just inundated with drops from the movie Heavyweights. Chris, I know you don't watch movies. Have you seen that one? I've never heard of it. Never even heard of it. See, this is what I'm talking about. The early 1990s film where Ben Stiller plays the uh, fitness guru slash nut who buys a children's fat camp. And decides like he's gonna take what should be just like a normal summer camp where the kids go to get a little activity, they maybe lose a little bit of weight, and decides to turn it into like, because uh, in the nineties, Chris, remember that like that th- that was the thing. You could do comedy movies, <laughs> camps to lose weight. Everything was to lose weight. Uh, How many did you go to? <laughs> I was in the best shape of my life when I was in the nineties. The best shape of my no, that's not true. I'm in the best shape of my life right now. If you say so. <laughs> but realistically, that film, so Greg Thompson put out the tweet. He goes, Drew DMs Aaron and I after these Bills losses, and he sounds like Tony Perkis at the scales talking to himself. Just go see it at our Twitter handle handle at Rockpile Report. Go check it out. You'll see. It's funny. But that's that's true. I I felt like I needed to find a place for blame. And I went down a rabbit hole that night, and what I came up with was a Twitter thread that was so nuanced that he <laughs> Greg responded, he goes, This he's like, I failed to believe he's like, I, I refuse to believe that you did this out, like unless it was just an out of body experience for you. Like it had to be the blackout in old school where Will Farrell is uh, going up against what's his face, the raging Cajun. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he goes he's going to talk about uh oh what what are they debating? 
I forget what it was. So like global economic policy, and he's just like I hey, just I- like that he called he Will Ferrell called James Carville in that scene. He called him Jimmy. Yeah, he goes, Jimmy, if I could take this one. And he's like, yeah, sure, the floor's yours. And he puts on such a clinic that he goes, that's the perfect response. I have no rebuttal. And Greg's like, I fail to believe that this wasn't an out-of-body experience for you, the fact that you came up with this thread. But it's realistically how I felt in the aftermath of this game. Now, everything that we saw on Sunday was a culmination of errors and just things that we've watched and just overlooked over the last few months. First of all, offensive line issues, right? But Chris, if you flip back to the Twitter thing for me. When you look at what our team has put together in an, in an offensive capacity over the last couple months of, like, month and a half of football, it's, it's not good, right? A lot of the optimism coming into the season was that we were going to improve on the offensive line because we brought in this offensive line coach who knows every scheme, who knows everything, who can teach technique. We added bodies to left guard, right guard. We we brought we kept Bates. We brought in running backs who have speed, legitimate speed. I don't know. The returns have been kind of meh. <laughs> like Roger Saffold is the worst offensive lineman. He's the worst. His numbers aren't that far off from where Cody Ford was last year when we decided that he didn't need to be a part of this franchise anymore. That's a problem. Now, when you look at pass protection, they are stronger up the gut, but our rushing numbers in that area of the field were averaging two to three yards per carry when we run between the tackles. In the NFL, Chris, that's not going to get it done, is it? No. You can't average 2.8 yards per carry when you run off left guard. I'm sorry. You just can't. That's not a recipe for successful offense in the NFL. Saffold is quietly the worst player on this team, and he's making more money than half of the guys around him. Like Whether it's gap, zone, doesn't matter. The whole unit has regressed. And that was something that was supposed to improve with the added athleticism. Our running backs, Cook and Singletary combined, are in the bottom third of the NFL for fewest designed runs of over 15 yards. As a team, we stink at running the football, and it's hard to keep blaming the running backs when new faces come and go, but the problem stays the same. Right? At a certain point, you have to look at this and go, maybe Dawkins isn't that good. Maybe Morse isn't that good. But what's more realistic that we're not like that they're all terrible football players, you know, who have just been in the NFL for a decade or that we're not putting them in a position to succeed? What's more likely, Chris? I don't know. There's a lot that goes into it. It could be the players, the coaches, the scheme. All of it is a problem. That's the issue here. I want to revisit some of my keys to victory from last week. Remember when I said we need someone besides Diggs? I was like, this is the perfect game. This is the perfect game. Like, we're going to have to rely on somebody else. It was one of the keys. Secondary production away from Diggs, given how good their defense was at shutting down boundary-wide receivers. I didn't count on Gabe Davis making an impact. I... 
I just expected somebody else to answer the bell. And in that capacity, the Bills, Chris, hit me with that zero of the week sounder because this whole group qualifies. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. For a second consecutive week, not a single wide receiver other than Stephon Diggs made an impact. They combined for literally 4.8 yards per target, which is dog shit in today's NFL. That's horrible. And yet, well, that's easy for you to scream about at home, maybe throw a Montucky can at your TV out of frustration. It's an incredibly multi-layered issue when you dig into it. And it goes to show that there is a lot to unpack about the 2022 Buffalo Bills and why this passing attack fails in some of these most critical moments. Uh, yards per pass on Twitter. It's an account. He does a lot of film work. He, lo- he loves the Buffalo Bills. He tweeted out, drop back passing offense versus the Jets after watching the tape was a lot of look for digs. If digs not open, really make sure digs isn't open. Run around. <laughs> it's funny until you realize that as Dan Arlovsky pointed out on ESPN, which go to Rock Powell Report on Twitter. If you want to see the clip, I'll retweet it right now as we speak so that it's fresh. The Jets defense repeatedly baited Josh into throwing 10 to 20 yards downfield into tight windows that were essentially double double coverage, despite the fact that he had open targets, four to seven yards downfield. This is a perfect time to lay out for you guys the fact that as a, as a whole, the Bills' intermediate passing attack has disappeared. Like the melting ice caps, the dodo, the great auk, the Bills' intermediate passing is gone. In 2021, Josh Allen finished sixth in the NFL on throws from 10 to 19 yards from the line of scrimmage. 2022, Josh Allen is 13th in the NFL on throws by the same margin and is on pace to finish 450 yards shy of last season's total in that same area of the field. But Drew, he's a smart quarterback. If he's got open targets, why the hell would he be challenging downfield instead of just taking the easy pass and getting to a more manageable second or third down? Chris? Up. Do you have an answer? Why? Why would a quarterback who we all did, who people think is MVP material, because he has a gunslinger arm and gunslingers like to fit it in tight windows and test the boundaries of their arm strength and accuracy. Or maybe we need to look at those guys who are being left open and just trying to assess whether or not they're being left open on purpose. Uh, first of all, James Cook. I'm going to tell you. He's been raw. James Cook, we all thought that he would challenge for the starting running back job, didn't we? Well, I don't know about that. But at least he would be a contributor. Yeah. He spent the first month of football just a complete non-factor, a ghost. Yeah. Well, how was his first carry? Yeah. Put it on the turf. What was his first passing attempt? That I don't remember. Catches that he still can't make. He's finger-tipping balls. He's not... He's growing, he's doing better, but it's not resoundingly better. He's more raw than I think Allen and Dorsey expected. 
So his early season mental lapses might still be hurting him, even as the offense has slowly worked him in more week over week. Just because he's open doesn't mean Josh doesn't genuinely believe he can find a better, more impactful play somewhere else. Especially when this team is struggling against a team that he thinks they should be kicking the shit out of. Then I look at Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis is a downfield threat that he occasionally gets loose for a big play like we saw at the end of the Jets game. You know, he made two of them against the Pittsburgh Steelers and then kind of went to sleep the next two weeks. He's infamous for the damage he can do on post routes against single high safety looks and the speed size mismatch that he gives you it just, I don't know, it's notable. So it would probably shock you to find out that the closer that Josh throws the ball to Gabe to the line of scrimmage, the worse his numbers become for reasons that I can't even begin to wrap my fucking head around. It's got to be a mental thing at this point. The he he he's shown absurd physical skill in terms of catching the football. Chris, remember the uh the Colts playoff game? Mm, yes. He makes that ridiculous toe tap. I'm going to reach my hands out, catch this ball that's way outside my frame and toe drag. Vaguely, my brain is filled with you doing shots of fight milk. He did he made two of those in that game. Uh last year Everyone remembers him abusing the Chiefs in that playoff game, but my, one of my favorite plays was him against the Carolina Panthers and S Stephon Gilmore in coverage. Just fucking, like, Gilmore gave him just a step, and he just took it and was like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, I'm bigger than you. I'm going to take it right up the seam for a touchdown. He has this thing to him where you're like, okay, you have this going for you. You're big, you're physical, you're strong, you're fast. You can run away from people. You can catch them over them. On short throws, zero to five yards out from the line of scrimmage, he's two for eight on the season for just 13 yards, and he's dropped three passes. Medium throws, which is the place where Josh Allen is regressing in production. He's 11 for 19, which is just a, almost a 57% catch rate. And he's only generating 2.8 yards of separation, which is 47th among all wide receivers. Chris, for a guy this big and fast, why isn't he making more of an impact? Why isn't he open more? Why is he dropping the goddamn ball? I don't know. And then... Like I talked about all summer long till you guys as listeners bitched about me bringing it up too often. The gross majority of his production is once again coming on throws between the hash marks rather than out on the boundary. He has 337 yards and two touchdowns in the middle of the football field and 77 yards and a touchdown when he's asked to play outside. Like, th th this guy, Frank Amarante, he's like a fantasy football analyst. He tweeted out, I think it's time to concede defeat on this one. Gabe Davis just looks like fancy MVS. Is he wrong? I don't think so. Uh, Look at the Chiefs signed MVS thinking he was the deep threat that was going to change their fortunes. They're finding out that it's very rare they can use him for much of anything. I mean, we're already 10 weeks into the NFL season. That guy hasn't made much of an impact at all. 
Gabe Davis, I don't know. Maybe he still can, but holy shit, does he look not like wide receiver two material. He looks like a big physical guy who's better off playing third or fourth fiddle. Like, that's it. He's playing like a one-trick pony that hasn't grown into a flexible or consistent modern NFL X receiver, which is what we're asking him to be. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's got just 56 total yards against man coverage all season. If you play man coverage on Gabe Davis, he fucking disappears. And that sucks because two teams in our division play a lot of man coverage and happen to have really good cornerbacks. Chris, who are the two teams we lost to? Miami and Uh, New Jersey. Who's the team uh, Gabe Davis had a touchdown punched out of his hands in man coverage against? Miami. Oh, I thought you were talking. You don't think that's going to happen again? You don't think he's going to see this again? I'm sorry. It bears out both in his personal numbers and in the number of times you see Josh scrambling around looking for somebody downfield who just never comes open. It forces him to go rogue and look for somebody else to make a play. And the worst part is, half the time it's fucking Isaiah McKenzie. Let's talk about Isaiah McKenzie, Chris. I know you're chomping at the bit for this. Yeah, is it not good? 32nd best separation in the NFL. At 3.4 yards. But that's just .2 worse than Justin Jefferson and .3 worse than Tyreek Hill. Right? What I don't understand, Chris, scroll up a little bit. Leave that right there. Leave that right there. When you look at Isaiah McKenzie, Any wide receiver who has the separation he has, Isaiah McKenzie, he has the shortest targeted air yards at 5.6 yards per target of any wide receiver. Outside of Greg Dortch, Rondell Moore, both of whom play for Arizona, which probably tells you why their offense sucks, and Debo Samuel. Guess who Isaiah McKenzie isn't? Debo Samuel. Yeah. He also has the second fewest catches of any of the top 32 players for separation at the wide receiver position, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. There are 20 wide receivers in the NFL with 30 or fewer targets who qualified for Next Gen Stats tracking. Of those 20, McKenzie is only outproducing five of them in terms of yardage. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
there's this crowd that believes McKenzie has this open field ability. His yards after the catch per reception weighed up against his expected yards after the catch per reception is just 0.1, which means that the 3.3 yards per catch that we've been expecting from him based on where he catches the ball, because that's what they'll do, Chris. You watch it. He rolls out. You saw it in the Jets game. He rolls out. You throw him a little flare. He's just off the line of scrimmage. You expect him to collect that ball in hand and get upfield quickly, don't you? Yes. Instead, he gets tackled for three yards. And you go, okay, I guess it's better than running headfirst into their defensive tackles. But also, you had a lot of fucking room. And you're supposed to be this shifty, open field threat. And yet, you're not making it happen. The reality is, when he catches the ball, the statistics show he gets tackled right where he's expected to, which is around three yards. (laughs) That's it. He doesn't have the chops to make anything outside of the expected yards after the catch happen. Like, oh, there's a linebacker within three yards of you. Well, then you will be tackled at three yards. He doesn't put in any secondary effort to make a play. It's gross. Nothing extra. No missed tackles. No speed to bend the edge and grind out more yards while cutting laterally or up the field. He just catches and gets tackled, which is less effective than most of our handoffs that are designed to go off left and right tackle, which are getting a six and 6.9 yards per carry. That's fucking wild. This guy catching the ball is less effective than a handoff off left tackle. Fuck him. It's, it's a mess. He's getting more snaps. And that's, I think the thing that chaps my ass. He's getting more snaps than anybody else. Who could play the slot on this team? He's getting more separation than a lot of players in the NFL, and he's getting the same number of opportunities for targets as some star NFL football players. And yet with his production, it he's a train wreck anywhere outside of the red zone. And even then we watched him trip over the fucking goal line. Yeah, I'm glad you finally came to uh, my side on Isaiah McKenzie. Chris, he outsnapped Khalil Shakir in this game, forty-one to nine. That's sad. Forty-one to nine. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. Right? He'd almost be better served if you sent him downfield. Remember the one game that he actually had that he was good at? The Patriot game last year. We were throwing to him twenty yards from the line of scrimmage. He did well out in the open field where he could find like z- holes in zone coverage. For some reason, they're still using him like a satellite target, and it's it's not working. It's an embarrassment to this point in the season. Like, I, I don't know. They just keep using him on screens and short slants, something that he's proven he can't produce on regularly, and that's not his fault. But when you take that, you match it up with the square peg round hole issues that they're that we're putting him in, and just his own mental mistakes. I don't know. He he's he's been bad, but so is the way they're working him into this scheme. It's just it's not working for us. Like maybe in the red zone, his three touchdowns. There's not a lot of receivers who have three touchdowns to this point in the season. 
In the red zone, he's a mismatch because of his speed and his short area quickness. And maybe that's where we need to keep him. Because between the 20s, maybe it's time for something different. Right? Maybe it is. Then you go down the chain and you look at Dawson Knox. Right? Like, I, I just, I don't understand. Because if you're talking about inefficiency, Knox isn't far behind him. I'm going down this Twitter thread of mine. Because it all bears relevance. He goes into this game against the Jets, 31st in receiving yards, 9th in touchdowns. He's on pace to finish with 46 targets in the intermediate area of the field where Josh Allen's really struggling, that 10 to 19 yards from the line of scrimmage. He finished 2022 with 81 targets. So obviously something changed, right? So you go back and you look, he's 24th in yardage now, according to the next-gen stats, but he's 23rd in targets among all qualifying tight ends, which shows you that even though he's on the field for 85% of Buffalo's plays, he's not the target on most passing plays, and then he spends 45% of those plays, which is 20 to 25 a game, blocking. He's on pace to spend 20 more percent of his time blocking on plays where the ball's being thrown than last year. He's never going to produce for you like that, is he, Chris? No. And by air yards, he's being targeted seven and a half yards from the line of scrimmage on average. That's safety valve territory for the most part, not dynamic offensive weapon, especially not with him averaging just 3.3 yards for separation. Teams aren't giving the Bills the action in the seams. They're clogging up everything with their safeties. They're And basically, they're teasing them, saying, listen, we'll make this guy look like he's open. We dare you to throw into that window. When you, in the Jets game, Arlovsky has the best play. He points out Dawson Knox on second and 15 is open right there for like an eight-yard gain. And if he breaks the tackle from that linebacker, he might get the first down himself. Josh doesn't even bother looking that way and instead throws an almost pick directly into the chest of Jordan Whitehead because he's trying to fit the ball into double coverage 15 yards downfield. Yep. He's ignoring an open receiver to make a very dangerous throw. He's a gunslinger. Also, the guys who have been playing around him aren't being put in places to make successful plays on a regular basis. So when they're open, what familiarity does he have here in 2022 with any of these guys? I mean, look at this. Even though Knox is being paid like one of the top tight ends in football, he's made a smaller overall impact in terms of yardage and scores than Cade Otten from Tampa. Didn't he just come onto the scene down there? Yeah. For all of you listening to this, if you just looked at your device, radio, speakers, your windshield, and just went, who the fuck is Kate Otten? That is exactly my point. <laughs> Kate Otten is outproducing our multi-million dollar tight end, Dawson Knox. I don't know, Chris. It's ugly. It's really bad. These are the guys who are supposed to be helping Josh Allen carry the load. And so far, they've been a gross disappointment. It's why when you look at this game and you hear things like the Jets only blitz twice all game, the lowest of Allen's career, and then see that they finish the game with five sacks. 
or you look at those two interceptions that Josh has acknowledged were his fault. Like, that was the intro to tonight's show. He goes, ah, it was just him being baited into stupid decisions he felt compelled to make because he didn't trust the low-hanging fruit. Because he looks at James Cook and goes, are you going to catch? You're open. Are you going to fucking catch it? He looks at Dawson Knox and goes, you're never out there. I don't know that you're still capable of this. I don't know that your head's in the game. I thought that the Knox INT was a miscom because it looked like Knox started breaking up the field and Allen wanted him to stay flat. And so when he started breaking up that field, the defender stayed flat. And that's why it looked but again, like he threw it right to him. If Knox wasn't being used as a run blocker or a pass blocker more often than he's going out for routes, don't you think that would help them build a little bit better chemistry this year? Yeah. Especially knowing that Dawson's head maybe early on specifically wasn't in things. Yep. I just, I don't know. You look at the way this all fell, and then you look at Josh Allen. You hear him at the top of the show talking about this the way that he was. You can tell from his body language as he sat there, if you go back and watch the press conference, just he's staring a hole through the floor. He's not even making eye contact with the people who are talking to him. He knows it. He just blew a game against a Jets team that they know they should beat. And it's a cruel joke. It's been a whole season in the making. And that's where everything, if we were recording a Tarantino film, would fade to black, the credits would roll, the house lights would come up, and we would all shuffle the fuck out of here to our homes or maybe off to a bar to go get a drink to get the taste of watching a film where the protagonist comes up short and yet deserves every bit of it just to get that out of our mouths. Because as Rust Belters, we can't handle that. That's the film I would make surrounding this loss to the Jets. But there are reason for op- reasons for optimism, Chris. It's not all doom and gloom. Some of it's philosophical, some of it's statistical, and some of it's just hopefully common sense. First of all, the defense. I didn't rail on them a ton this week because they obviously they. Chris, you saw it that last drive when they just bullied us. Yeah. The week before, James Robinson had like I think under twenty yards rushing. Something like that. Everyone's like, he has a knee injury. I don't know. I don't. Know. He didn't look like he had a knee injury to me, did he? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you wish that they could have held on during that long field goal march down the field at the end of the game. That was mostly just bad angles by our youngest players on defense. But realistically, the Bills' defense did the equivalent of holding a team under 10 runs in slow-pitch softball. Every team in slow pitch should be able to score 10. Unless you're on the team. If you, or, well, then why do you think I hold the scoreboard or the scorebook? And sit behind home plate. Yes, sir. If you lose a game, right? Like if you hold a team under 10 runs and you lose that game, it's because you didn't score enough. And that's your fault. That's some drought era Bills offensive bullshit right there. And I refuse to lay the blame at their feet, especially knowing that they're a young and inexperienced group of linebackers, corners, and safeties. (laughs) The good news is that they'll learn from this. They'll continue to grow. They have somewhere to go. On the offensive line, they've been mediocre all year, and they gave up 
waves of pressures and sacks to just four pass rushers this week. They also held our running backs to the lowest rushing total of the entire season. There's two things on this moving forward. First of all, the Bills, to date, run almost twice the amount of gap-style runs as they have zone. For those of you who aren't football savants and aren't just sitting here drinking just two-fisted Montuckies into your face, gap and zone, zone makes each offensive lineman basically responsible for a guy. Gap means you're literally trying to forcibly create a gap in the defense for your running back to hit a specific location. Zone is, everybody block your man, running back pick where he thinks he can get the most yards, and we all try to get to the second level and support him. I've, I've oversimplified this, but it's football for dummies. You know what I'm talking Chris, I've got two full Montuckies in my hand. I can't talk football science. Half the reason we went out and prioritized Ryan Bates the reason he's here, Chicago signed him to an offer sheet. We kept him because he helped our zone blocking down the stretch last year. He gave us a more athletic option at guard. Spencer Brown was brought in because he's an athletic lineman. All of these things you look at and say, this would give us a great zone rushing attack. Instead, we've gone away from that based on our offensive coordinator, based on our offensive line coach. Like, literally, we're playing to our own weakness. Now, given that they've pivoted on this same thing in the past, there's fair reason to believe that they can still get back to that style of play. And if they do, with it should come a notable improvement in the blocking of our problematic interior offensive line. You throw in a return to health and the athleticism of Spencer Brown, there's still time for this offensive line to find its way. That might not fix the pass protection issues, but what it'll do is it'll make teams less confident in calling coverages that include their linebackers. You're, like, they're going to have to keep them closer to home now. Force defensive coordinators to respect your willingness to run. Now you're not going to be committing them to pass support the way we saw the Jets do on Sunday. And that should help some of these guys who are just really dropping the ball here in intermediate coverage, help them produce a little bit. In terms of the skill player struggles, this one's a little bit more difficult to fix. Or maybe it's not. Maybe this is just Occam's razor. I don't know. Ken Dorsey has had a rough go this off, like this season when trying to play against the teams, players, and coordinators that have spent enough time going up against Josh Allen that they've come to know him. They've come to know him well. And in some cases, maybe better because they're wholly unbiased. They haven't been his coach. They don't view him through rose-colored glasses the way Dorsey does. It's telling that in contests against divisional opponents, the Bills have 36 combined points, but we've averaged 30 points per game against everybody else. It's time for those two guys to put their fucking heads together and figure this thing out, and it starts at a few points. First of all, ID players who need their snaps adjusted and just spread those to other players. I'm thinking about McKenzie, Chris. Tell me Khalil Shakir doesn't need a, more snaps. He can get it. He's getting a third of the snaps, but his 8.5 yards after the catch is more than double what McKenzie is giving us. He's a rookie. I understand not wanting to overload him. But considering his yards after the catch numbers and the fact that he actually has a better drop rate than McKenzie, and that his average depth of target is almost triple what McKenzie gives us, a simple shift in snap percentage for those two players could yield better results. Also, 
An overwhelming amount of this team's yardage is coming against zone compared to man coverage, which is what I was talking about earlier with the game stats. It's hurt everybody except for Diggs, who is one of the NFL's best receivers against zone. I mean, against man coverage. The task then is figuring out how to get man cover teams into zone, or at least getting them to throw concepts that can beat man when they do call it. One of the best bets is to just, like, Google it. Chris, right now, hit the Goog and put in best play to beat man coverage. Is this something that you find on uh, Madden? <laughs> you can find it everywhere. Read that first sentence that comes up with the very first, from youthfootballonline.com. The best way to beat man coverage is with play action passing plays. Oh, play action passing plays, right? Yeah. One of what's the best. The, what's, but if, you're, if you have to do that as a... Uh, as a football czar that I am, when I read this, the best way to beat man coverage is with play action passing. But don't you have to be able to run to set up the pass? Were the Bills a good rushing team last year? No. Okay. And we're not this year. They ran a ton of play action passing last year. Out of the shotgun, out of standard sets, they ran play action a ton. You can go to Pro Football Focus, the numbers back it up. This year, play-action passing has been phased out of our offense. We're running just no play-action, drop-back-and-pass offense at a 2-1 to margin. This seems like a mistake, doesn't it? Yeah. These are just two really simple concepts. More snaps for Shakir, more play-action passing that Dorsey and Allen could work together to incorporate into this attack that could suddenly breathe some life into areas where we're very obviously needing something, needing a fucking jump start, unlike we, unless we like the idea of our division opponents who intentionally built their defenses to beat us the way the Jets beat us on Sunday, repeating that performance over and over again over the next month of football. And that's not advice coming from some fucking film guru, some high-level statistician, some well-spoken articulate. I'm just some asshole that literally right now accidentally opened a second can of Montucky when I already had one opened. Oh, Chris, I haven't moved. I don't know how I forget that I have an open beer. And I literally just do this research while my wife falls asleep early on the couch next to me. If I can figure this out... Then you dickheads who are making millions of dollars should probably be able to do it too. And then I just look at the quarterback. He needs to zen the fuck out and find his composure. Just, but even then, for all the ugliness that's been percolating on offense here, we're still seventh in passing yards, second in touchdowns, 16th in sacks taken, number one in deep passing in the NFL. Quarterback of the number one team in the AFC. So, it, I don't know, it feels atrocious to lose to the New York Jets the way we lost. And yet, Josh Allen is absolutely correct when he ended his presser with, thankfully everything we want is right in front of us. Chris, normally this is where we would do people who have it worse. And I mean, there are people who have it worse. I mean, fucking Aaron Carter. <laughs> he died in a tub. Yeah, he did his best Whitney impression. 
you died in a bathtub, man. Like I know that there's going to be people out there who hear this and go, you can't joke about someone dying in a First of all, you died in a fucking bathtub. <laughs> like, that is funny inherently. Because here's the thing. If you're naked when they find you, it's the most embarrassing. Like, it's, the, it's the worst like crime scene autopsy photos ever. Especially yeah. if the bathwater got cold by the time they got there. <sighs> Fuck. Yeah, no. How, how about Colts fans? That's <laughs> guys. I could spend a half hour just unpacking everything. Quartiles of quartiles of quart. I've been. I might be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Montucky, thirteen, four. Oh, Chris, we're on the fourteen cusp. I might be fourteen Montuckys deep. I know that if you use the term quartile more than twice in a sentence, you probably don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You hired Jeff Saturday off the couch? I've been waiting for something like this to happen. Cause as, as, <laughs> because I told, uh, I DM Terry White about it. Because it happened, la- like, it happens in the NHL. And you would go, yeah, I get it if it happens in, like, uh, a city like Arizona. Or some low-level team that's never been good and has no pedigree. Like this, ha- for those listening that don't follow the NHL, this happened last year in the NHL with the most pedigreed team, the Montreal Canadiens. They hired Martin Saint Louis, who had only coached his kid, twelve-year-old hockey, and now you're asked to come in and coach the the <laughs> Montreal Canadiens, which is it's like the equivalent of the Dallas Cowboys firing Mike McCarthy and go, you know what, we're bringing in Nate Newton. <laughs> Nate Newton's going to be our new head coach. Is he driving a whole van full of weed to the game? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. I mean, it, it happens. I'll never forget. That. It happens in the NHL, and I've seen it before. Never uh, in it, football. Never. Cause, no, because no, because no one has the, the balls to do there's, it. Like there's a process that you have to you have to put your time in in football, whether it's in the NFL or college, guys, to be a coach. Go watch. You know who does a great video? Brett Coleman over on his YouTube. He has a great video breakdown. He's like, I didn't want to have actual. Who is it that hates it when we say friend of the show? Oh, I don't know. I forget who said actual friend. Yeah, actual friend. Now that he's. Drank with us in your home. Yeah, drank with us. Drank with us, tailgated with us. Went out uh, trick or treating with. Went out trick or treating with you and your child, your 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 co children, co child, stepchild. It's Jessica's child. I'm there for support. He went as a he went as a. Um, so you're a Ghostbusters newscaster. So you were the jockstrap of Halloween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now I just eat his candy. <laughs> yeah, I see that. I see you, fucking Tony Montana. Well, this just is Scarfacing down candy. <laughs> this is fr- this is from our our uh, giveaway. We left out a bowl. Not every kid yeah. took. I don't know. When I got here, I took one Reese cup out of the thing, and I haven't opened it yet. You've eaten the, nine uh, pieces of candy since I got here. <laughs> well, we when we went trick or treating, we went down our street, and then whatever street is at the end here. Like to go to your old place, like the yeah. back way. Whatever street that is was just flooded with kids. And then our street was just empty. Nobody wanted to come down it. Yeah, probably because they know you live here. I don't, I don't they, they saw your hair and they saw the thing and they're like, that guy has to be on a list. He hasn't told anyone yet, but it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> so realistically, Brett Coleman has a great video breakdown of this whole thing. And he actually had some tweets that I, like, I, I agree with. 
when he says that like this has to be embarrassing. Yeah, this has to be embarrassing for everybody on that staff. Imagine that you got like uh, Stephen Holder is the journalist, uh, NFL reporter for ESPN. He covered. He's their correspondent for the Rams. I bookmarked a bunch of his tweets in the aftermath of this nonsense, and they're all gold. They're all gold. He goes, I'm sure you guys want answers, but honestly, no one has any. Everyone's shocked. I have no idea what's coming, but it just feels kind of sloppy. I'm eagerly waiting the press conference. And then he, the next day he tweets out, was thinking about the past few years around here. February 2018, Josh McDaniels backs out of the job the night before his introductory presser. 2019, Andrew Luck abruptly retires after a preseason game. November 2022, Frank Reich fired, replaced with TV analyst Jeff Saturday. This sounds like a clown show, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to make sausage, but I know how to produce a podcast. (laughs) And then he tweets out two very revealing things from the Colts presser if you listen closely. One, Chris Ballard, when asked if he was on board with the Saturday's hire, said his discussion with Ursay was, quote unquote, very spirited. Like, they can be because we're both passionate about what we do. <laughs> That's not a resounding, like, yeah, sure, we're both on board with this. Ballard, I would not be surprised if at the end of the I mean, well, I don't know if Ballard, because I don't follow the Colts that closely, but I don't know if he's been a good or a bad GM. I mean, you or Wineski or um, Greg Thompson, could fill me in on that, but I think it's going to be the same thing as Ernie Accorsi when he was the GM of the Baltimore Colts, which was owned by Ursay's dad, and he just jumped in there and traded away uh, John Elway to Denver. And then Accorsi quit at the end of the year. He's well, like, yeah. I'm not dealing with this with this nonsense, you know, you hire me to do a job and now you want to do my job. Why am I here? And now his kids doing it. And I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of the year over this, that Baylor resigns, you won't let me hire my own coach. Get the fuck out of here. I'm out. Number two was Ursa's jab at analytics, a jab at Frank Reich. Here's the quote. I'm glad that talking about Jeff Saturday, Hasn't learned the fear that's in this league because it's tough for all our coaches. They're afraid. They go to analytics and it gets difficult. He points out that Reich's Eagles don't win the Super Bowl. They don't win the Super Bowl against the Patriots without analytics. Yeah. What was that play? What was the play they ran? Philly special. The Philly special? That is strictly based on analytics. You make that call not because you're a gunslinging coach, because you look at the linebacking core they have out there, and you you're, you have a, a small group of people crunching numbers, and you go, hey, this guy, this guy, this guy, they're short area quickness, they're average, blah, 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 blah. this is a good time to run this. The numbers say that if you were ever going to run it, now is the time. So if you were ever going to make good on this, pull the trigger right fucking now. It's just... Hilarious. Nobody loves this. Brett might do the best job of breaking it down. Like, if, if there's people who feel bad, it's like those are definitely two of them. Look at that. We did the segment without even meaning to. Yeah. It's fucking hilarious. Chris, we really are just mean bastards. We like punching down. 
<laughs> we just like punching down is real easy because you get a lot of force. <laughs> what I love is that they can't say anything to us, and if they wanted to, who's going to do it? What Aaron Carter's family is going to what get mad at us for cracking a joke about it? Uh, sorry, a guy died in a tub. I don't know why. I'm not going to speculate as to why. And I'm also, listen, everybody, we all got to go. I'm sure when I do, it's going to be messy and loud. In fact, I almost kind of hope that. I hope that when I go, somebody has to clean it up. Like, I just hope that there's some asshole from ServPro who's like, ah, oh, God, come on. The fan blades, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your final thoughts on this one before we wrap it. Tough loss. Tough loss. I hope Josh's elbow is gets better. You know, between you and me being the athlete, I'd give him my UCL <laughs> ligament if he needed it. But uh, you know, oh I'll, my God, it, we that's like a win that we needed because you know I'm not I'm not too concerned with what's going around the division as far as the race. I'm concerned with getting the home field advantage over Kansas City because if we're going to see them again I want that game to be here A because I want to go to it and B I don't think Mahomes has ever seen a uh, road playoff game so no on to the next one I think we can take Minnesota if this were a film like if we were actually describing a movie right about now would be the time where we'd need El Pacino to come sauntering through the fucking door shooting finger guns you know it's funny uh Who's the comedian that tried to ruin uh, uh, the machine? Burt Kreischer. Okay. Who's the comedian that he was working for who, like, stole some of his jokes and his stories and tried to ruin his career? That I'd never heard of. Did the uh, a lot of impressions? Carlos Mencia? No, it was big in the 90s. Carlos Mencia? No. I don't know who it is. I've never heard of anybody st- stealing uh, Bert Kreischer's jokes. I've heard it with Dane Cook. Now you have to Google it. Jay Moore. Oh. He opened for Jay Moore. Yeah, and Jay Moore used to steal his jokes and then basically be like, hey, yo, that's a funny story. I'm going to tell it on stage and just go steal it. Jay Moore had this hilarious bit about Al Pacino where he pointed out that he started out his movie career... It's like, and I just, I don't know why I'm thinking about this now, but he started out like uh, in uh, Dog Day Afternoon, talking like this, and he was just, uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a this guy, and we're, we're Catholics in here, we don't want to shoot nobody. And then somewhere along the way, over the course of his career, he started talking like this, and he just became Daddy from Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. <laughs> and he just started. So right now, I'm thinking that if this were a sports film, here would come Al Pacino sauntered through the door giving a speech about we got to come together as a football team. We we either come together right now or we will die as individuals. <laughs> like this. But this isn't a movie. It's real life pro football. And platitudes aren't going to get it done. Pets on the back aren't going to get it done. Instead, it's going to take some deep introspection, some swallowing of pride, and a collaborative effort by this organization's pillars, McDermott, Frazier, Dorsey, and Allen, to ID each of the issues that we've talked about here tonight 
and find an answer to every single one of them as best they can. Dropping to 0-2 in the AFC East is a really shitty place to be. As we're going to talk about later in the week in our AFC's Roundup podcast, the AFC East is the most competitive division in the conference. Chris, did you see that coming at the onset of the season? Mm, not really. It's, I figured the Jets would be better. Maybe the Dolphins were going to be better with an offensive coach. And then who knew what the fuck New England was doing? But New England is outperforming what I thought they would uh, be. It's worse when you consider that no other team currently winning its division in the AFC has a loss within its own division. And we've got a pair of them. Our margin for error is non-existent. Our balls are millimeter from the bandsaw going forward. And yet for all our warts, those positive stats that I rattled off at the end of the show weren't some obscure cherry-picked figures to try to make you all feel better. They're statistics that often dictate who won or who lost a game on any given Sunday. That should make everybody feel a lot better about the state of things. Considering everything that's gone wrong, there's still an incredible amount going right. And regardless of who suits up for quarterback for the Buffalo Bills next Sunday, God help the rest of the NFL if over the next month of football, the Bills figure those nuances of their own construction out. God, God help them. Make sure you keep tuning in all week. We've got a packed week full of shows. Kyle Trimble from Banged Up Bills is going to join our AFC's Roundup this week to talk about the Josh Allen injury in depth. Now that we know that the, now that we've heard the team's big quote unquote, quote unquote big announcement on it, uh, we've got our Vikings preview, tailgate discussion. We've got all kinds of fun shit going on. So make sure you come back for the rest of the shows throughout the course of the week. But for tonight. I'm going to finish these th- now three open Montuckies in front of me. And we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report.